0: Two, three, four. Hi, guys. Marie here, bringing you a new episode. I know that everybody is missing Maddie, so am I. It's just been so crazy and so busy for her, so you're stuck with me for a little bit longer, and I'm going to try to get her back in here soon. Today, I am bringing you a crazy, crazy case, and we will be heading to Alaska, where women were disappearing at an alarming rate. On June 13 of 1983, a young woman was picked up by a truck driver. She had been running down the road. She was barefoot and handcuffed, and the story she would tell would eventually lead authorities to hunting a serial killer dubbed by the media, the Butcher Baker, who used Alaska as his personal hunting ground. Alaska is a wild, mysterious place and home to many dark stories. It is the largest U.S. state larger than California, Texas, and Montana combined. The state ranks number one in the U.S. for the largest state park, national forest, and coastline. It boasts 17 of the USA's 20 tallest peaks and claims the highest peak in the U.S., which is Mount Denali. We've actually covered at least one other Alaska story. Into the Wild, I believe, was the title of it, which is another Crazy story in Alaska and really goes to show how wild this area is. If you haven't listened to that one, it's one of my favorites. It's the story of Chris McKenless, who ended up burning all of his money, his ID, everything, and just headed into the Alaska wilderness. It's crazy. And many people do go missing throughout Alaska. Some of this is due to the vast landscape and its abundant wilderness to explore. A lot of people underestimate how dangerous Alaska can be, but roughly 600,000 people are missing, according to NamUs, to date, and close to 4,400 unidentified bodies have been found. Wow. Nothing is 100%, as reports can vary throughout the years, But Alaska has an average of 2,250 people go missing every year. Now, on our case today, we are going to focus on 1973 through 1983, which according to the missing persons clearinghouse in Alaska, 1,312 people were reported missing that year who have never been found, 19 of which would be women. Alaska's murder rate is 10.8, which means about 11 in 100,000 people are murdered each year. That's a lot. The state has reported many dangerous killers, and one of them was known as the Butcher Baker, a serial killer whose victims were set loose in the Alaskan wilderness to be hunted he was said to have murdered 17 to 21 women in the decade that he was active. Assuming that his spree did indeed begin in 1973, which is what he confesses, but there are other earlier crimes that he could be responsible for, but authorities have not been able to link him to them. After his confessions, they found 14 of the women he had murdered, which means three to seven, depending on how many he murdered, are still missing and are thought to be victims of the Butcher Baker. This serial killer's name was Robert Christian Hansen, and he was born February 15th of 1939 in Escherville, Iowa, to parents Edna and Christian Hansen. He was known as a loner, and he was forced to work long hours in his father's bakery. According to him, He was also left-handed, but his parents forced him to use his right hand. Hansen was bullied by his peers throughout his entire adolescence. A lot of this bullying was at the hands of females. He had a stutter and was always considered small for his age. He also suffered from severe acne in his adolescence. Making friends would prove to be difficult for Hansen, but he found solace in the woods near his house. He became an outstanding hunter and tracker, and he excelled with weapons for the sport, the bow and arrow or a rifle being his favorites. Hansen would join the Army Reserves in 1957, where he underwent basic training at Fort Diggs. And this is also when he would have his first sexual experience, and it would be with a prostitute. And he would later confess that he was disappointed with the experience and felt like he didn't have control. He would continue his training at Fort Knox as a military police officer, and after only a year, he would be discharged. It was reported that this was due to his conduct while in a drilling status. Not sure exactly what that means, but either way, he is discharged. But his experience would lead to a position as an assistant instructor at the local police academy in neighboring Pocahontas, Iowa. He even got married in 1960 but within that same year, he would burn down the garage that housed the school buses in the town of Pocahontas where he had attended school. It is theorized that this was possibly revenge for feeling wronged in his adolescence. He would be convicted and sentenced to three years in prison, and while in prison, his wife would divorce him. Also in prison, he would be diagnosed with bipolar disorder schizophrenia that would come periodically, and manic depression. He was also stated to have an infantile personality, which was said to be the reason he was so obsessed with getting back at people who had done him wrong. Despite, or maybe because of his diagnosis, Hansen would only serve 20 months of his sentence, and would be paroled in 1962. After his release, he would meet a young woman named Darla Marie Hendrickson, and the two would quickly fall in love and marry in 1963. Throughout their marriage, Robert would not be able to hold down a steady job and continuously got arrested for petty crimes. Regardless of his inability to hold down a job and his petty thievery, the couple would have two children together. In 1967, Hansen moved his family to Anchorage, Alaska for a fresh start. He would open a bakery that actually did really well. He spent his free time hunting and even set records for trophy hunting. He also seemed to earn the respect of his community. So it kind of seems like he might be turning things around. He would buy a small plane after getting his pilot's license, and he would use the plane to fly into the wilderness to hunt. People in the community would describe him as mild-mannered and quiet, and the police officers that frequented his bakery described him as harmless. I will say it was later reported that the money he had used to start his bakery came from an insurance payout. Hansen had reported a robbery in his home, and the insurance payout was $13,000. This claim was said to be fraudulent, but he was never charged with the crime. But not surprising. Throughout the years of their marriage, Darla and Robert would sort of live separate lives. She was known to travel with the children back to Arkansas to visit her family for long periods over the summer. Darla was highly educated with a master's degree in education and would tutor children for extra income. And I also read somewhere that she worked at an elementary school, but I don't know if that was the tutoring or something separate. And Darla believed that Robert had dirty little secrets. She thought he might be picking up prostitutes in the middle of the night before opening his bakery. And since she was often not at home, he would have the opportunity. Hansen was also said to be verbally and physically abusive to Darla and the children, but she would stay with him. And in 1971, Hanson would be arrested for assault with a deadly weapon after kidnapping 18-year-old Susie Heppard from her apartment. He had followed her home after he claims she gave him a flirtatious look. He was found guilty by a grand jury and would serve three months in jail. I'm sorry, what? Darla and their children would often visit him in jail. Um, what? (sighs) Quickly after his release, he would abduct a dancer from a club. After raping her, he would let her out of his vehicle and tell her to run. She begged him not to kill her, which he didn't. But he made her write down a list of her family members and their addresses and threatened to hunt them down and kill them if she ever said anything. And from what I can tell, that assault went unreported at the time. After this, in the same year, Robert committed two more offenses, the rape of a prostitute and an attempted rape of a local housewife. Between the two charges, he would take a plea bargain. He would plead down to assault with a deadly weapon and be sentenced to five years in prison. And this makes me so... So mad. Not only did he only get five years for these two offenses, but he would only serve six months. He would be released to a halfway house per a work release program. Stellar. I, I, I can't. I literally can't. This just fucking makes me so mad. Now, while Hansen was being charged with these offenses. The naked body of a female would be found on the Kenai Peninsula. It was discovered on Christmas Day. The body belonged to 18-year-old Cecilia Beth Van Zenten. She was last seen on December 22nd of 1971. She was found at McHugh Creek by a set of brothers who were out taking pictures. They found her body partially covered in snow behind a bush. The autopsy would show that she had been raped and articles of her clothing were missing. The murder of Van Santen is still a mystery, although the most theorized murderer was Robert Hansen. And there's good reason that people theorize that Hansen was responsible for this particular murder. So when Hansen is eventually arrested, like for the last time, police find a map in his home And this map contains X's on it. Like X marks the spot. And one of those X's happened to be where Beth was found. Either way, Hansen denies being responsible for this murder. In contrast, he would claim that the X's represented prostitutes that he had murdered and nobody else. Now... After Hansen had served his six months, he would be arrested for trying to steal a chainsaw. And he would be sentenced to five years in jail. Five years. For trying to steal a chainsaw. Okay. But he would only serve one year. Are prisons in Alaska overcrowded? Do people just get out early? Like this, I mean, this is extreme to me. Now, after this, Hansen would change his MO a bit and started targeting only sex workers who he believed would not be missed and less likely to report him. Between December of 1971 and Hansen's next conviction in 1976, four women would go missing. But authorities have not been able to link them to Hansen. So we have Megan Emmerich, who was last seen on June 7 of 1973. Megan went missing at the age of 17 from Seward, Alaska. She was said to enjoy rock music, motorcycles, fishing, hunting, and horses. She spent most of her time on the Yukon River with her family performing these outdoor activities. She had brown hair and hazel eyes. She was a native of Alaska growing up in Delta Junction. She was last seen leaving a dorm laundry room at the Seward Skills Center where she was a student. She left all of her belongings behind, including her ID. She was last seen wearing jeans, ski boots, a long-sleeved white checkered shirt, and a brown short-sleeved sweatshirt. It took three days for her roommate to report her missing, and her case remains unsolved. Now... Robert Hansen has admitted to being in town on the day of her disappearance, but he denied having anything to do with it. I don't know if I believe you, Robert. Then we have Sandra Lee Davis, who was last seen on August 30th of 1974. Sandra was 38 at the time of her disappearance, so a little older than Robert Hansen's normal preference. She was last seen in Chugiak, Alaska, although depending on the source, some say Anchorage, Alaska. She had just moved from Utah to Alaska the summer before she went missing. The move was decided by her husband, and quickly after the move, he had asked her for a divorce. They had been married for 15 years. And the day she went missing, she had signed those divorce papers and was granted custody of their two children. She also had plans to move to California to be closer to her family because she did not enjoy her life in Alaska. I'm not sure I would either if immediately upon arriving in Alaska, my husband asked me for a divorce. The night she went missing, around 7 p.m., she went outside because she was crying. It was assumed by her husband and the children that she had walked down the road to use the closest payphone, as she was said to do on a regular basis. For instance, the night before, on August 29th, she had been gone for three hours, so this was not unusual for her to not return quickly, although that night she would never return and her husband would report her missing the next day. All that is reported about what she was last wearing was jeans, but she did have blue eyes and blonde hair at the time of her disappearance. Her case also remains unsolved and her family is still looking for answers. I do wonder in this case, because this one to me is the least likely to be uh, connected to Hanson, and I think part of that is her age. I think part of that is she's going through this divorce and planning on moving away with her children. I wonder how much the police looked at her husband in this crime or in her disappearance. Then we have Mary Kathleen Phil who was last seen on July 5 of 1975. Mary was 22 years old at the time that she went missing, and this was from Seward, Alaska. She was alone at the time because her husband was away working on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. On the day she disappeared due to her husband being out of town, she had asked a friend for a ride into town to the local bakery. She was spotted after her trip to the bakery by another friend of hers around 1.30 or 2 o'clock. And this was by the waterfall on Lowell Point Road. She was last seen wearing jeans, leather hiking boots, a gray pullover sweater, and an army jacket. She also wore pink round frame glasses with thick lenses. Mary had blue eyes and red hair at the time of her disappearance. It is theorized that she was also fated to be a victim of Robert Hansen. Like Megan... Robert had admitted to being in town the day of Mary's disappearance, but he never claimed her as one of his victims, which leaves the disappearance of Mary Thill to remain unsolved to this day. But we know that Robert Hansen does not like admitting to killing anyone other than sex workers, so I'm not surprised he wouldn't take responsibility for this, but I'm thinking maybe he went to try out the local bakery you know, competition, whatever, and saw Mary there and followed her. Either way, not on his official victim list. The last one is Ida Rose Jacobit, who was last seen on October 2nd of 1975. Ida was 37 years old at the time of her disappearance. She had been out at the Circle M Bar in Fairbanks the last night she was seen. Her purse was found in the parking lot of that bar after her disappearance. Ida was Native American with black hair and brown eyes. This area is a little far for her to be associated with Hansen. She's also a little out of his age range, but she is still missing. (sighs) Now, since Hansen's last run-in with the law... Things would be pretty quiet until 1976 when he pleaded guilty to stealing from a Fred Meyer, which is a department store in Anchorage. We have them here too. He was convicted and sentenced to receive psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder as well as five years in prison. Again, why is he getting more time for theft than he is for kidnapping and rape? Now, despite his prior convictions and pleading guilty, the Alaska Supreme Court reduced his sentence and released him with time served, which was 16 months, and this would be on August 11 of 1978. I mean, no wonder he keeps committing crimes. He just gets right out again. Quickly after his release, women started disappearing at an alarming rate from downtown Anchorage from 1978 to 1983 not only did many women go missing but bodies would also turn up in the area so if not Hansen then there is another killer dumping bodies near water often the Kenick River or Eklutna Lake Road this road connects to the Kenick River and Lake Eklutna in Chugiak, Alaska. Of the four bodies found the year after Robert's release, three have been identified, and the other remains a mystery. And we know there are more likely than not additional victims of Robert Hansen because he confesses to 14 murders eventually. But there are more than 21 exes on his map. Yikes. So I want to talk about the women that went missing and the bodies that turned up in the area from 1978 to 1983. First, we have Cora Mae Anderson, who was the first to go missing after Hansen's release. Cora was 51 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was last seen exiting the Eureka Lodge in Palmer, Alaska, on July 16 of 1979, at the time of her disappearance, she was wearing a black turtleneck, black slacks, black shoes, and a purple jacket. She had red hair and hazel eyes and wore glasses. Her car was found 9 days after her disappearance, but she was not found with her vehicle. And I couldn't really find any theories that connected her to Robert Hansen, and it may be unlikely due to her location but she was closer to Hanson than some of the others who disappeared in this time period. But Cora remains missing to this day. On September 1 of 1979, Barbara S. Jackson would go missing from Fairbanks, Alaska. Foul play is suspected, although it is not believed that Hanson was involved due to how far away she was from his hunting ground. She was 34 years old at the time that she went missing and had brown hair with brown eyes. And she, to this day, has never been found. In May of 1980, between the 11th and the 14th, depending on the source, Karen Evan went missing. There's not a lot known about Karen, but she was 18 at the time of her disappearance. She was Native American with brown hair and brown eyes. She was living in Anchorage at the time of her disappearance. Karen typically kept in close contact with her family members but they just stopped hearing from her. And at the time of her disappearance, she was expecting a visit from her sister in Canada. She is still missing, and Karen was in the location of Hansen's hunting ground, but she is not listed as a possible victim or one of the victims that he claims. Next was Joanna Messina, who was last seen on May 19 of 1980. And on July 8, two months later, her remains would be found. She would be found along Iklunta Lake Road in a gravel pit. Joanne was 24 years old at the time that she was murdered. She was not a native of Alaska and had moved there in the early 1980s. She had left her life in New York, including her nursing career, her husband, and the remainder of her family. But she did bring her beloved German shepherd with her. She had ended up in Seward, Alaska, and was living in a boarding house, but due to conflicts with her landlord, she had ended up moving out and finding a nearby campground where she was living in a tent. Before her death, Joanne was working at a local cannery, and when her body was found, it was badly decomposed, and they had originally dubbed her the Bear Lady due to the scavenging looking like that of a bear. A sleeping bag would be found with her bones and she was last seen leaving the docks with her dog and a red hair man that no one could identify and she had been shot with a 22. Now I will say here that Robert Hansen is reported to have reddish hair. The next missing woman would be a body that is still unidentified but she was given the name Aklunta Annie. Her remains were found on July 21st of 1980, and based on decomposition, it is believed that her remains had been there for at least a year before being found, which would have meant that she went missing in 1979. This places her before Joanna on the timeline, but because there's no official date known, she goes down on the timeline for the date that she's found her remains were found in a shallow grave by construction workers. On a Clinta Lake Road, her remains were gruesome when found. Not only were they badly decomposed, but they had been ravaged by animals. And due to these two factors, investigators were unable to ever positively identify the woman. So to this day, she is still unidentified. They did create a facial reconstruction that was highly publicized but no one ever came forward to claim her. She is described as small in stature, standing between 4'11 and 5'1 in height. At the time of her death, she had light brown hair with a red tint and was Caucasian, with possible Native American bloodlines. When her remains were found, she was wearing jeans, knee-high high-heeled boots that were red, and zipped up the sides, a knit sweater that was light in color, and a leather brown jacket. She was also found with jewelry, a white shell ring, a wide copper bracelet with a flora design, and turquoise stones, a necklace that was brown and turquoise with a heart pendant that was spaced with twisted beads, twisted metal gold hoop earrings, and lastly a Timex wristwatch. That had gold plated chain link, a brown face and white arms. A two two three rifle cartridge was found with her body. She was estimated to be in her late teens to early twenties at the time of her death. And to this day, she is still known as a Clunta Annie. And this would not be the first two two three rifle cartridge found. To me, She sounds like one of Robert Hansen's victims. Now, after Eklunta Annie was discovered, another woman named Roxanne Eastland would go missing. Roxanne went missing on June 28 of 1980. She had been reported missing on July 2nd, four days after she had last been seen. She used the alias of Karen Lee Band Squad, and she was reported missing under that alias. Before her disappearance... Roxanne was working as an exotic dancer and had been staying for weeks at the budget motel in Anchorage with her boyfriend. On the night that she went missing, Roxanne had plans to meet with an unknown male downtown. She was last seen wearing a brown leather coat with a fur collar, black high-heeled boots, and pants or possibly blue jeans. At the time of her disappearance, she was 24 years old and had brown hair and brown eyes. She also had a birthmark on the top of her right thigh and her right shoulder, and no one has seen or heard from her since that night. Now, Hansen did confess to murdering Roxanne, and he even led authorities to her gravesite, but they were unable to find her, and her remains have never been found. Now, in a lot of reports, she is not an official victim of Hansen. I'm not sure why, but she is still considered endangered and missing in the database to this day. I would say with the confession and him at least attempting to lead them to her grave probably means that he's responsible and just forgot where he left her. Now on September 6th of 1980, Lisa Futrell would be the next to go missing. Lisa was originally from Hawaii, but found herself dancing at a club called the Great Alaskan Bush Company. She was 41 years old at the time of her disappearance. Lisa's remains were found on May 9 of 1984 during searches led from Hansen's confession and his map. But he did not specifically confess to killing Lisa. But authorities did find her while attempting to locate victims based on the exes on Hansen's map. So she's in his General hunting ground. Malay Larson would go missing in June of 1981. She was said to be 25 to 28 years old, depending on the source, at the time of her disappearance. She seemed to fit the victim profile of an exotic dancer before her disappearance. However, this is only presumed because not much can be found about her earlier life until her body was found on April 24, obviously because they don't even know her age. In 1984, in a parking lot area by Old Knick Bridge, Hansen led investigators to her grave. So, for sure, one of his confirmed victims. The next body to be discovered would be that of Sherry Morrow. At the time of her disappearance, Sherry was 23 years old. She had been working as an exotic dancer at a bar called the Wild Cherry in Anchorage. Sherry had been reported missing on November 23rd of 1981. Her boyfriend said that he had dropped her off at work around 11.30 p.m. on the night of the 16th. Witnesses say that she was approached by a stranger that night and offered $300 to pose for photos. And Sherry had been very excited about her first modeling gig. No one could give a description of the man, though. Her last actual confirmed sighting is on November 17 after spending the night at a friend's house on the 16th. She was supposed to be heading to a doctor's appointment from her friend's house, but she never made it there. Her remains were found on September 12, 1981 on the banks of the Knick River. She was found in a shallow grave by hunters and she had been shot three times. She would be identified through forensic testing. And when police went back and interviewed some of the dancers from the club, they could recall a red-haired gentleman that had been around at the time that she went missing. After Sherry, the next victim to go missing would be Judy Riddle. Judy is not assumed to be a victim of Hanson, and part of that is because she went missing while aboard an aircraft traveling from Port Walter to Port Lucy. So she was traveling with three other people, and all of them are presumed deceased because they have never turned up. I'd say that's fair, that she's probably not his victim. Four months after Judy's plane went missing, a woman by the name of Clin Love would also go missing while traveling. Also not suspected to be the victim of Hansen, even though she did go missing within his hunting grounds, but there's good reason for this. Love would go missing on November 20, 1981, at the age of 21, and she was last seen in Seward, Alaska, with two other people, and the trio had left Seward on a 32-foot boat headed to Three Hole Bay, and none of them have ever been heard from again, and they are presumed to be lost at sea. Again, I think it's fair that those last two are probably for sure not victims of Hansen. But that's a lot of missing women in this time frame. Now, before Hansen's arrest in 1983, eight more women would go missing in the state, and the ninth one would be the reason for Hansen's arrest. Out of the many missing women in the late 70s and early 80s that we have discussed, Only six are claimed victims of Robert Hansen. And Hansen's reign of terror doesn't end with just the number of victims, but also in the manner in which he killed them. Not only did Hansen pick up and rape women, but the ones who were murdered were the ones known to be defiant, the ones who wouldn't go along with his plan he would actually plead guilty to a lot more rapes than murders. He confessed to raping and releasing the ones who behaved. And if those victims ever came forward, they often were not believed. So frustrating. But it gets worse. When Hansen did not believe he could get away with raping and releasing his victims, he would fly them into the wilderness, make them strip down, blindfold them, and tell them to run. He would then hunt them down. And next week, we are going to talk more about his crimes and the confirmed victims of Robert Hansen. So I am so sorry. This is going to be a two-parter, but it's going to be worth it. There is so much more to cover in this case. I want to thank everybody so much for supporting the podcast. You guys are amazing. If you want more content, please hop over to our Patreon and support us there. We do Patreon exclusive episodes. We do, um, we do episodes on our hiking and backpacking adventures. It's a lot of fun. So come on over there and support us. Thank you so much to everybody that already has. Also, go and check us out on Instagram. We post all of our photos from every case on there. It's really nice sometimes to put a face to a name or be able to see a place that we are talking about or to see the environment where some of these cases take place. So come and check us out. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. One, two...